Victorian police have won the right to disconnect after a hard day's work. Christian Porter has been appointed to the tech portfolio and not a lot of people are happy about that. And Facebook has yet another leak that they're really annoyed that you seem to care about. Plus, we chat to a couple of people from the gaming industry in Australia to see what it's really like trying to build games and to get some assistance from the federal government. The states seem to be doing a fantastic job, whereas the federal government may not be as generous uh, as they could be. Wow, that's very kind, Peter. They're not being generous at all. Unless you're Netflix or, you know, the film industry, you know, TV industry just got another 30% tax incentive given to them, which task just kind of drives us crazy. All that and more on today's Help Desk. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Help Desk. My name is Peter Wells. How are you, Tess Bennett? I'm well, thanks, Peter. And so this is the first weekly show. I've seen a couple of people a little bit upset that we're we're stepping away from the daily. There's quite a few options out there if you if you do need your daily news fix. There is my excellent mate uh, Anthony's the Sizzle email, and there there is also its podcast from Seamus Byrne, who used to work over at CNET. So uh, they'll keep you going. Uh, we're really well. What I'm really hoping to do here is just to bring a bit more conversation, but still keep it a nice tight conversation. I know that a lot of tech podcasts do ramble on a bit and can go far too long. We're trying to avoid that. But anyway, um, I'm quite excited about this new format. Let's jump straight in, Tess. And the first thing we're talking about today is the Victoria Police have won a new right to disconnect in their bargaining laws. I love this, Tess. Yeah, so now apart from emergencies, uh, Victoria Police can't be contacted outside of work hours unless it's for a welfare check. I actually think a lot of other unions are likely to follow this move by Victoria Police and their union. Mm. And with work increasingly encroaching on our home lives and clocking off is getting harder, um, yeah, I think it, it is a discussion we'll see more of. But do you actually think this will gain any traction? Uh, I hope so. Yeah, I do think it's coming as well. So France has had similar laws to this since 2016 when they introduced them. And, and there, man- managers can be either f- either face fines if they send emails or call a worker outside of hours, or, or they can agree to then just pay overtime for three hours based on whenever the email was sent. So uh, yeah, I think, I think technology companies do need to make this a bit easier as well. Uh, I, I know for me, there are many times when I suddenly think of something I want to share with you at 11 o'clock and I wish there was a way yeah, in iMessage to... pain in the ass. Yeah, it is a pain in the ass. I do apologise. I wish there was a way in iMessage to, uh, you know, schedule send like you can in email. Um, so I, I'll move to email, test so I don't bug you in the middle of the night. But yeah, I do think that this is something that uh, should be adopted by a lot of places. I, I know some of the places I've worked at have had very strict rules about just for instance, putting email on your phone, that as soon as you do that, uh, you get a bit of a bonus um, on your salary because there is an expectation there that you will then answer emails uh, during 
non-work hours and I think that's very fair. Yeah, I do think it does come down to what are, whatever is the expectations and the norms of that workplace because especially with mobile and having apps on your phone, it's just so easy to fire off uh, messages really, really quickly at any time when a thought pops into your head. Yeah, totally. And especially when you're uh, after the last year of living with your office basically in your kitchen or in your bedroom or wherever um, you've set up your your COVID safe environment. And then, yeah, it's, it's, it can be so easy to, to find yourself working like 11 hours and, and not even noticing, or mm-hmm. at least that's me. And moving on, uh, there's a follow-up to the PM's cabinet reshovel from last month that saw Christian Porter, the former Attorney General, moved into the industry science and technology portfolio Tech industry leaders have told the AFR that they probably won't meet with the minister, invite him to their things, or and they'll <laughs> even think twice about accepting any government grants. And the main complaint here is that by appointing Porter to the role, that's actually really damaging to a sector that's working hard to improve its gender diversity. But the other criticisms include that he lacks experience in technology and that he's just going to be too distracted by what's going on in his political career and suing the ABC for defamation uh, Mm. to actually properly lead the sector. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? And, and, you know, the ABC is probably one of our biggest tech organisations in the country. You know, they do incredible podcasts. uh, They've got a great digital brand. So, yeah, in a sense, he's attacking one of the biggest uh, technology success stories in our land. And I guess it's interesting you don't hear business leaders coming out and saying this kind of thing very Mm. often. They don't like to comment on government. Uh, They'll usually have some diplomatic line about, like ask any business that sells in China and they'll say... (laughs) Politics is politics, but we're just going to concentrate on selling to China until their or their exports get blocked. You can't uh, imagine that everywhere is going to be like California. Sometimes you have to change your rules a bit. Yeah, yeah, totally. And in this case, many industry leaders actually didn't comment, according to the AFR article, and that's because of their ties to government and those sort of lucrative government contracts for technology. Yeah, and uh, one of the people who did comment was Microsoft, and that's incredible because Microsoft obviously sells really massive contracts to the government. Yeah, I, I think that that it was great for them to take a stand here, and I also think it was great for both uh, Yolanda Redrup, who wrote the article. Um, she she spoke to some fantastic people, so check it out if you can. And also the AFR for putting it on the front page, where Scotty can't ignore it. I think that's fantastic. And moving on, there was a massive Facebook data breach that was just revealed. It actually happened back in 2019, but it's only just been revealed uh, over the last week. There were, in fact, two different uh, vulnerabilities uh, during 2019, and both have led to data being scraped from Facebook's website. And unfortunately, Tess, there's not a lot you can do about it. Um, The data's gone. That's it. Yeah, I was wondering about that because the the leaked data, which actually 7.3 million Australians are caught up in. It's phone numbers, Facebook IDs, full names, locations, birth date uh, and email addresses. I guess all you can do about it is try not to get fooled Mm. by any phishing attempts if someone's uh, messaging that number that they've gotten their hands on or don't give over your credit card information, change your phone number. Mm. Yeah, I know. Like if it's a password hack, then you can say, well, go change your password and make sure you're not using 
that password on any other service. But yeah, here, you can't change your, your date of birth and your, your phone number. I mean, I guess you can change your phone number, but that what a pain in the ass that is. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's an absolute bummer. And it maybe explains, I, I was putting down all of the, I get like three or four uh, spam calls a day these days. And I was putting that down to all of the check-ins I was doing in non-government COVID safe apps. And yeah, I guess part of it could have been this breach. I mean, this happened two years ago. So the, this information's been out there for a while. And just, well, just posted publicly mm. last weekend. I hate to turn this into my people complaining about technology, but I've also been getting like two or three of those Amazon has your package mm-hmm. or your parcel is in customs. Click here to, to pay the fee messages in the last in the last week or so. Yeah, it's really gone crazy. So I guess now that this is public, it's it's much easier for people to find the data. Um, yeah, those those bigger databases were available if you knew where to look. Now they're free for anyone, unfortunately. And moving on, the Guardian reports that Liberal National MP Andrew Lamming operates more than 30 Facebook pages and profiles under the guise of community groups to promote the LNP and attack uh, his opponents. For example, there's the Redland Bay Bulletin, which uses a similar name to the local news site, the Redland City Bulletin, that was set up by Lamming in October 2015, and it's claiming to be a community group. In this article that outlines a few more of those examples, uh, they they note that none of the pages include political authorisation disclosure, and that's bad because under the Australian Electoral Commission rules, political authorization is required for information that is intended to influence the way people vote in a federal election. And those rules were even extended to include social media in 2016. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, I've, I've had a look at some of these pages that he's running and it's, it's almost grade school level pettiness and just terrible writing and everything else as well. They're, they're, they're quite remarkably bad. To have 30 of them, it really just shows like how hard it is to see what is going on in, on Facebook that may be influencing elections and things like that. It's just... This guy's weird. This guy, <laughs> this guy really does need to leave Parliament right now. He is on what? He's on leave, uh, undertaking empathy counselling. I think he needs to probably just uh, leave for good. I mean, thirty pages is a lot to operate, but I guess they once they get to a certain size, I suppose they take on a life of their own. Uh, and and uh, amazing as well, considering that the federal government is literally trying to pass a law that makes uh, that you have to sign in with your own name on all social networks to to avoid these kind of internet trolls that are out there and um, they've got one of the biggest internet trolls. Well, not currently on their bench, but yeah, <laughs> what a world. Moving on, an Australian startup Canva is now valued at almost 20 billion Australian dollars after raising another US 71 million. This makes it an incredibly fast-growing company. The milestone comes with Canva on track to turn over US $500 million this financial year, which is up 130%. Since being founded in 2013, Canva has raised a total of nearly $390 million. It's incredible. Uh, you know, we've said a lot of positive things about Canva on this show, but I was thinking back as I was reading over that. I remember going to a Canva event maybe 2015 and thinking, this this is nothing. Like This is such a... 
lame way of cashing in on on social media. Uh, this, this will be dead in about two years. So it just shows how wrong I can be all the time. I just wanted to put that out there in case you hear me say something and think, oh, that's a bit strange. Yeah, it probably is. I'm probably wrong. And finally, uh, the best story about technology I've read in quite some time comes from Wired and from the excellent author Lauren Good. So Lauren has uh, detailed, it's a very long article, but it details the story of cancelling her wedding in 2019 and then being constantly reminded about that on Facebook, Instagram, and all of the other platforms that will show her, you know, show her the photo of the eggs she made when she told her um, partner that she wanted to break off the marriage. It's full of those wonderful little details that throw you into the story so, so well. And I I just think it's fantastic storytelling all around. I I love also as a tech nerd, uh, she she mentions the, the, the memories being part of almost every app that you use these days. And she talks about this this Foursquare hacking event that she covered and she spoke to some of the people who won the event. And that became TimeHop, which was one of the very first versions of this where I, I remember there was a period there when TimeHop came out that just every few days you'd see someone saying, oh, remember this from blah, blah, blah. And TimeHop was just, you'd see that little dinosaur everywhere. Of course, TimeHop is not really around anymore because every other social media network copied it as they want to do. And so now, yeah, when you when I look at my phone every day, I see photos from Google Photos memories that they decide uh, I should be looking at. And and sometimes, you know, they're, they're really wonderful. Most of the time they're really wonderful. And sometimes they are a little bit sad. Um, but this is, <laughs> this is what we do to ourselves these days. Uh, I don't know, Tess, did you, did you get a chance to read that one? I did. It's a very well put together essay. And the thing I guess it struck me was the, the Pinterest has, you know, Pinterest knows it's a problem and has named it the miscarriage problem, which is, you know, you're preparing for a baby and then for whatever reason, there's no baby. And they go into a really, they do explain how internet and ad tracking works, you know, in a really interesting way. And that's basically that you fed all these data points in for a high value life event, which is like crack for marketers. Mm. And so they're just going to hold on to those signals. And the whole system is designed to keep feeding you baby things. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And it doesn't take into account the edge cases, yep. uh, which actually add up to to be a lot of people. Uh, not an easy problem to solve, dissembling the entire tracking infrastructure mm. uh, and the way it's been set up. Like you said, yeah, it's an incredibly difficult problem when a marketer is going to look at that information with such value. Mm, I guess that's slightly different to you know, the feature of nostalgia. Well, no, it's not. It's the same. It's um, capitalizing on nostalgia uh, with like Facebook memories to keep you coming back to the platform, spending more time there. Nostalgia is also nice Mm. most of the time. Yeah. And that's another thing I really like about the article is, you know, they speak to someone from Google Photos who says that the reason they incorporated memories into their app was that people were taking thousands of photos every week and then never looking at them. And so they wanted to to figure out using AI, what were the best photos to bring back for people to look at? Um, And, you know, like I said, it's on my, literally on my home screen. I use it every day. But yeah, there are are moments where it's just, it gets you right in the feels. (laughs) Yeah, there's not much you can do about living life. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, 
fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome back to The Help Desk, and today I am interviewing uh, two people from the Australian gaming industry to to find out where the nation sits in terms of game making, game playing, and also uh, federal federal support from our government. Speaking to me uh, today is Ron Curry. He's the CEO of the Inter- Interactive Games uh, and Entertainment Association, I believe. <laughs> Should have checked that. Um, anyway, it's the peak gaming. It is. Um, it is the peak gaming uh, body in this in this nation, and it does all of the kind of deals with with uh, the government trying to get more funds out of them. And also, uh, Clara Reeves, who is the CEO of Hipster Whale, uh, the iOS development house that is most famous for Crossy Road. Uh, so we talk about you know mobile games, the whole thing, uh, games during lockdown, uh, the the audio is not the greatest because it was recorded over Zoom and I just couldn't get the uh, audio on their side to be that great. So I've just kind of tried to keep it as as uh, clean as possible. Hopefully you'll put up with it because uh, I think the conversation is worth it. Anyway, stick around. If you can't handle the audio, stick around and there will be one more thing after that. Let's talk about game development in Melbourne and also in Australia. I, I remember uh, the first time I... Even even found out that there was a an industry in this country. Um, a friend of mm. mine got a gig at Atari. He was doing graphic design for one of the major um, studios, like Take Two or so, someone huge. And and then I caught up with him. Like he was just a friend from uni. I caught up with him years later, and he was just like, "Oh yeah, the, the, none of the none of the big guys are here anymore. They've all they've all left." Is is that a fair assessment? Some of them are coming back. Not all of the big guys have left. You know, and mm-hmm. it depends like what your definition of a big guy is. And we still mm-hmm. have EA Fire Monkeys here. Uh, Sledgehammer, who are owned by Activision Blizzard, kind of ramped up over the last 12 months. Okay. Game Loft are here. Wargaming are here. And, but, and then you have solid size companies like League of Geeks or Mighty Kingdom. Okay. Yeah, so, so you've, you've got the companies here who are doing large projects for big guys, big publishers. But yeah, I got my start at EA, not EA, at um, Atari uh, Melbourne House as well. That was, a, <laughs> that was where a lot of people, a lot of people and got their start. Pleasure. I did my time at Atari as well. Well, there you go. Yeah, cool, cool. I, I didn't realise it was such a, a major place for, for a lot of people to go through. I guess it makes a lot of sense. What What are some of the highlights you, you've seen, I, I guess, over the last 12 months? It's been, obviously, it's been a hard year for everyone. Uh, how has how the game industry doing I, I think you know if you've got product in the market you you've got the potential to be doing quite well at the moment okay. and you know we have seen some extraordinary sales figures on some product i'd say if you don't have product in market and you, you're along that development phase it may be a little bit harder than usual you know mm. your teams aren't working together you know it's you're missing those kind of nice serendipity moments you're not yep, getting to yep. like gdc productivity no. is harder but op- opportunities are still there you touched on this that if you're in development, it might be 
more of a struggle. But if you're in the market, you, you're doing okay because yeah. we're seeing gameplay go through the roof as as people are stuck at home and looking. You know, they, they've. I know personally, yeah. I, I think I watched everything on Netflix. Like I got to the point yeah. where it just <laughs> I was watching the end credits of Netflix go by, and I was like, well, "What do I do now?" So, yes. uh, are you seeing like more hours of gameplay? Yes. Yeah, I think like Ron's probably seeing it across more yeah. studios, but what? But yeah, is is the short answer. It probably had like a bit of a, a an initial boom, and it's it's tapering off a bit um, now. But um, yes, <laughs> numbers up. So what have you seen, Ron? Well, I, I guess initially when they first started globally, you know, talking about lockdowns, we had our toilet yeah. paper moment, mm-hmm. you know. Yes. That <laughs> And buy games, you know, like what are we, what else we're going to do? But, but then we actually did see, you know, this. It, it didn't flatten out a lot after that, and people were. We saw people doing a couple of different things. One, experimenting with different genres and different styles of games, and I think that's a Netflix experience too, isn't it? You know, like, well, okay, I've watched all the political dramas. Now I'll try horror or something. Mm. So people jump into different genres of games. People then say, jumping like, well, okay, I'm pretty much you know, had enough of playing on my console, what can I get on my iPhone? And, and social gaming, obviously. Yeah, and that was the next thing is, you know, people wanted to play with each other. Yeah. We really saw this acceleration of people wanting games that were that they could either enjoy with their friends or their family, whether that's even in the same house or, or outside the house, you know, just mm. that power of, of games to connect people mm. was so important. Are there any and titles you wanted to highlight? Any would get me in trouble, I guess. Okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know? no, you love all your babies just as much? <laughs> yeah, I do. I know, right? Every, they're all my second favourite. Um, mm. <laughs> you, you know, you can go and look at the, the AAA titles and, you know, make the call-outs there. But I think if you if you drop down and have a look right across the board, there's just some fantastic games that, that are getting played that maybe would not have had that opportunity mm. or at least that level of opportunity without COVID. Yeah, I mean, I, I found my uh, amongst my friends, and obviously we're not a, uh, a standard group because we're all nerds, but um, we still never really talked about gaming all that much. And it has become one of the main things we talk about these days. And it's uh, it's been really fascinating to hear what they're playing. Uh, there is a lot of suddenly they're all playing Civ against each other and just mainly for that yeah the connection i think yeah. and and i've been playing a hell of a lot of wii u with my my daughter i i've tracked down one of those on on gumtree and set it up for mm-hmm. her so you know one thing i found really interesting is gaming for a lot of parents seems to have become the the safe screen time like it's it's the screen time you don't feel guilty about if you have it with your kids because it's an interactive thing it's something you can, um, you know, it's, it's troubleshooting. It's it's not just like parking them in front of Pe- Peppa Pig for 14 hours and doing other things. Yeah, maybe there's been an accelerated shift in that attitude as well with COVID where more people are seeing those positives firsthand because they're actually sitting down and playing the games with their kids. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that, that's, I think, where some of that positivity comes from is when people playing together in in that, that game and having a social connection and you know this this game is kind of just the vehicle for for that. Do you find, uh, in terms of the the gaming as a social thing, that people are just playing games that have an online element, even if they don't give a crap about the game, just so they can hang out with people? Yeah, and sometimes I think the games are deliberately designed to do that. Like that yeah. is that is what the game design is intended. I think yeah. often in those those games, it's um 
deliberately part of the system. And sometimes it's accidental. Like I, I have people kind of like have, having bad movie nights where you know, we'll play games that are kind of so bad that we can have a fun moment sort of laughing through them. And uh, you could have named one of those. Come on. Like <laughs> what's the gaming equivalent of the room? I wouldn't even be able to, but, you know, like web things that you find and it's like how do we even do this? And mm-hmm. you have sort of fun, even just little web trivia games and things like that and you're sort of yeah. laughing at the content as much as, you know, with each other. Your company is working with or is part of Apple Arcade, is that not? That's correct, we've yeah? A, yeah, we've released a game into, into Apple Arcade with Crossy Road Castle, yeah. So what's the difference between a game that is available on uh, outside of the Apple Arcade system and inside or uh, do Apple even let you talk about that kind of stuff? I definitely can't speak for Apple on that. I don't, you know, I don't know their <laughs> their philosophy on that. But I think you can you can look at it and like any platform, the parameters of the platform and how the platform is presented to people is going to make a different kind of game. Like if you're making a game for Xbox or PC or phone, like you're going to make a different kind of product and it's going to suit that platform mm. better. And I think that arcade is another platform that offers different options to developers and that is what I see as really exciting about arcade is that there are opportunities in arcade that um, will basically make a new space for developers to have different opportunities and new games to exist there. So, and, you know, it's still an evolving platform, I think, like watching the games land regularly. Um, mm, mm. It's, it also changes regularly. Uh, but, uh, can you speak, though, to the numbers that you're seeing on Apple Arcade? Uh, as, as a <laughs> That's where I thought Apple would draw the line. (laughs) Well, also us, like we're a, you know, we're a business as well. We don't usually put our numbers out like that. Fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. (laughs) Nice try. (laughs) I'm just curious. I think like, I think what we can say is like, we're, we're really happy with, with how it's gone. It's definitely been a really positive thing for us. So yeah, that's probably what I can say. Excellent. Excellent. That's good enough. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's more than most apple people tell me um, best mobile game of the year that must have been cool it was uh, you know what it was so cool for our team because we released that game like the week that covid just you know took over the world <laughs> and so it was really it was really just a really happy joyful moment for the team to take a moment and celebrate and go yeah look what we made um so on that note it was it was awesome the team had a heap of fun did it feel slightly weird, like having, you know, you're the only people on the planet with good news? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, well, do you know, I think even as, um, as game developers, I think there's been a little bit of conflicting feeling around that because, like, business is up. Mm. And for a lot, of, a lot of people in games, we're not losing our jobs and it, it's more like productivity issues rather than opportunity issues. And so there's definitely that level of, um, survivor guilt. Yeah, yeah, yeah survivor yeah, guilt, right. and and you know, seeing your friends who work at restaurants or who you know are, are in different industries going through a completely different experience, and, and also always being remote. <laughs> I think, mm. yeah, coming together and just going, yeah, look, this is great, and uh, you know, for for our industry to have a bit of time to celebrate like that and sort of check with each other and everything, yeah, it's it's it was really positive thing that was really necessary I think for our local industry. Ron is there anything you wanted to mention or highlight uh, about the the industry and is it 
is it mainly focused around Melbourne? That's the vibe I get from just the the stories I've read and like old good game pieces and things like that that I used to watch. No, it's not okay. just around that. Look, <laughs> really strong around the country. What we've seen for a number of years is the Victorian government have absolutely been the stars at supporting the industry, and that's why you know you see. 40, 50% of the, of the output coming out of Victoria because of that level of support. And there's some fantastic studios there. Um, but over the last couple of years, I think, you know, the rest of the country, particularly the states, have started to said, say they could see the potential in games and have started to support their local game development mm-hmm. sectors. And, you know, it's one of these, you know, the, the rising tide. Everyone could see how well Victoria's going. They kind of lifted the whole industry. And now we're seeing some fabulous stuff coming from right across the country. You just need to look down the, the winners of the Agders and it, it's pretty much every state is covered there now. So certainly, you know, Victoria is super strong, but the rest of the country is starting to give them a run for the money, which is fabulous. It's good for everybody when that happens. So obviously the, the states seem to be doing a fantastic job. One could say, uh, it reminds you a bit about the COVID response, but uh, the states seem to be doing a fantastic job, whereas the federal government may not be as generous uh, as they could be? Wow, that's very kind, Peter. They're not being generous at all, unless you're Netflix or, you know, the film industry, you know, TV industry just got another 30% tax incentive given to them, which task just kind of drives us crazy. And Clara was talking about, you know, how positive we've been able to survive COVID. The way we're going to get out of this economic problem we're having is we're going to have to export our way out of it, largely, as a, as a country. You know, we are a we're a net exporter as an industry. You know, over you know around ninety percent of of our output is exported. We're not digging it up. You know, it's weightless. We don't have to ship it. You know, it's high, highly intellectual. The the skill set is so transferable. Yet we can't get this message across to the current government. We've got our last report said we have around seventeen hundred developers in Australia. Mm. Canada's got around 27,000. That, that delta is just, to me, it's, it's crushing me. What, what simple science stuff too. Like you look at industries around the world, games industries around the world in cities and countries that have a similar ecosystem to us or that had a similar ecosystem to us and had investment at, you know, a level that, that made sense and what they've been able to do with it. And you just look at it and go, we could have had that too. Like it just... It's, it's growth investment. We have opportunities and we're not able to grow them at the same rate because we don't. We... I mean, as an outsider, it, it just it boggles my mind that there's nothing like a Screen Australia for this industry. And then alongside that, a, a you know, film financing corporation and like the, all the infrastructure is there on one creative pathway. What do you think is the blind spot when it comes to gaming for, for the federal government, because it's, it's not just this current one, as much as I hate ScoMo and think he is, you know, Australia's deadbeat dad, it, it's, been, it's been something that has been missing for a while. Well, it's certainly been missing since we've, we've had a Liberal coalition government. You know, we, we did see the return of the, a games fund in the last Labor government that was pretty much axed as soon as the Liberals came in. And since then, we've had little traction with them. Uh, in spite of... Now, there's been probably over the last five years, probably seven or more different government inquiries into funding and children's screen, et cetera. Every single one of them has recommended the return of the Games Fund and or um, a tax offset. Mm. And and that's cross-party. We're not talking about not all Labor. And yet in spite of that, 
we've, we've seen nothing from this government. And it's largely cultural uh, within mm. the government itself, within within the senior leadership of the government. Between talking to you guys, I talk to people, in, you know, stand-up comedians, for instance, who mm. uh, are also amazed at how little support the arts is getting during this time and just can't understand what is going on at a federal level. I had one advisor from a government department spend a long time speaking to us and the end of the conversation from them was, here's our advice, can't you make a game based on a really popular movie and perhaps use a Hemsworth in it? Because, <laughs> because well, I'm, and I'm so serious, mm. you know, and, and they said because, you know, the minister likes to stand up with people like a Hemsworth Mm. Or someone of a similar stature. I mean, I know that's such a. I, I could get in a giant chicken suit. <laughs> like. yeah. Hang on a sec. Mm. I think we've got this. Yeah. Yeah, You're right. right. Sorry, you volunteered for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I probably. Uh, now I'm more depressed. I've got I, I just a sideline story. I, I went to a screen New South Wales screen. Yes, yeah, screen New South Wales big presentation and they were it was very excited that they were launching Storm Boy. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, as I launched, I kind of put my hand up and said, Oh, do you realize that, you know, a couple of kilometers from where we're having this event, Storm Boy, the game, just got created and launched. And like, no. I said, and you know they could get no funding for the game, yet the game's based on the same franchise as the movie release. And it was wonderful. It was a beautiful experience. And, and you know how beautiful the game is, right? And, and I did um, not watch the relaunch of what uh, I assume it was a TV show or a movie. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah. It was, <laughs> it was kind of frustrating, you know. Mm. Yeah. Similarly, you know, South Australia are just filming Mortal Kombat. They huge press releases about how Mortal Kombat's been filmed in WA by a foreign company. Um, and we said, well, you know, if we wanted to make Mortal Kombat in W in sorry South Australia, there'd be no funding for it. And get funding to make the actual movie. And we want to, like, that's where the real value for us lies in making sure that we make these things and keep these things, you know, the creative control and, and, the, and the voice. You know, reap the benefits out of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it's not right. like you're asking for a charity, is it? It's, it's like you're a no, profitable no, this, industry. This is, growth, this is growth funding when we see opportunities so that we can invest it's an investment with a return mm. <laughs> and it looks good yeah. like on paper it looks good and it so it and it's and it's cultural as well so it, mm. it you know it has all these effects and it's an ecosystem that is broad in sort of cultural financial and te- technical and you hit all these points but we still can't get funding like ron says it's just you need a better trade body yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm so so sorry to depress you all but it sounds like you you, you're living with this depression (laughs) you've absorbed it over the years um but yeah i think i mean yeah you mean you that's a great statement. I remember sitting with some politicians and they said, well, what are you going to do if, if we don't give you funding? I said, what we've always done. We're going to continue to make awesome games. Yeah. In yeah. spite of that, we will still punch above our weight. Yeah. You know? And that's what I love about this industry. And things like GCAP where you see the whole industry come together, supporting everyone supporting each other. You know, you go to the actors and, you know, they announce the award-winning best mobile game, Crossy Road Castle. Everybody's happy. Mm. Everybody wants to be a winner. You know, it didn't matter who was going to win, the whole industry is behind everybody. 
Oh, that's lovely. So it really does have that that supportive feel um, from from your end. One hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. Like yeah. we're. I I think most of the studios in Australia, we don't see ourselves as competing with each other. Where mm-hmm. you know that that sort of a pointless view. Where where. But if there's only sixteen hundred devs across the country, um, it, there must be a lot of crossover and pollination of different companies as well. Like, do yes. do you have people that? <laughs> Yeah, every, there's a lot of everyone knows everyone for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for your time. I'm so sorry that um, all I can say is I used to work for higher ed. Um, so I understand the federal government completely shafting an industry. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I'm doing this independently now. It was wonderful talking to you all. Thank you so much. Well, welcome back. And before we go, Tess, uh, I thought it'd be fun to uh, share something that you found on the internet over the last week that has been, I don't know, cheered you up um, <laughs> amongst all of the crap that goes on. Um, I Actually, you go first because yours is actually nice. Mine isn't. Yeah, mine's a bit of a roller coaster. So uh, for a moment there this week that we're worried that an important piece of millennial history had been deleted from the internet forever. The original Space Jam website was this super 90s web page that had somehow managed to live on at spacejam.com up until this week. But now that URL points to a trailer for the Space Jam sequel, which is coming out this year, and, you know, pretty a lot of people were pretty upset that this uh, this website had, you know, was no more. Um, but you can actually still find it. If you're on the new homepage, or, sorry, the new Space Jam oh site, just... you can click the logo on the top right and you'll be transported back to 1996. Or it's spacejam.com slash 1996 if you want to take a trip down memory lane to what websites were when, when I was growing up. Yeah, this is incredible. See, I'm, I'm uh, Gen X, so I've never understood what you millennials see in Space Jam. I, I was forced to watch it last year, um, or two years ago now, and it's fucking awful. I like You clearly had to have grown up with it to, to still find this Nike commercial that turned into a movie um, charming in any way. But So, so you, you still have nostalgia for Space Jam? Yeah. I mean, it, it's been a while since I've watched it, but it was, it was a childhood classic. Mm, yeah, kind of agree. <laughs> this is just one of those things that makes us all think millennials are insane. Anyway, <clears throat> the thing I found uh, this week, or I've been kind of watching over the last week now, is the HBO documentary called Into the Cube Into the Storm, and it's all about QAnon and the people most likely behind Q. Uh, It's trying to figure out who actually is Q. I'm not going to spoil it here, but there have been a couple of different uh, shows that have tried to do that over the years. Reply All did a two-part episode on it uh, a little while ago. Um, But yeah, this is the most compelling version of the story I've ever seen. The first episode feels a bit kind of wrong and exploitative of the people that it is talking to. But uh, as as the show kind of picks up, they are just as insane as they're presented in that first episode. Uh, and so, I don't know, there, there's a real Tiger King feel about watching it, like, you know, where where you just can't look away, but you just, every single person on screen is awful in some respect. Uh, but yeah, I, I would highly recommend uh, Into the Storm. It is on Binge as well. That's probably a good recommendation for me. I I've glossed over the whole QAnon thing. Uh, mostly because I can. <laughs> mm, mm. 
<laughs> so I feel like that's an important one for me to go back and, and catch up on that. Yeah, yeah, and it really is um, fascinating to see just how involved the White House was with uh, some of the coordination of, of Q drops and uh, and really hyping up Q because they knew that it was a vote winner uh, in in some states, southern states that they they really needed to hold on to to win the election, uh, which of course they didn't do. But yeah, really, really fascinating. Um, absolutely worth your time. And that's all we have time for for the help desk this week. Thank you, Tess Bennett. Thanks, Peter. And we will speak to you next week. I hope you enjoy the show. If you do, feel free to pop on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. That helps other people find the show. We'll speak to you next week. See ya. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.